Good evening, everyone. This is the uh, Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, January 16, 2019 edition of our little weather get-together, and we're happy to have you tonight. Uh, tonight is show number 261, and we have with us our good friend Tony Rice, who is a contributor for WRAO in astronomy and space flight. And we're going to be talking about the lunar eclipse uh, that uh, hopefully the weather will move out this weekend and we'll be able to see here in the Carolinas. So we'll dig into that in just a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to tell you we are a live broadcast, and we'd love to have your interaction throughout the show. We're streaming on Facebook Live Periscope on our YouTube pages. So if you have any comments or questions about the lunar eclipse, maybe the cold uh, weather pattern that's setting up, please send them our way, and we'll address them throughout the show. If you're listening on the uh, podcast version, We'll let uh, Tony share his uh, social media accounts towards the end of the show. And that way, if you have any questions about the lunar eclipse, something you can tweet them to him. So, again, uh, this is uh, the uh, show number 261, talking about the uh, the total lunar eclipse. It's going to be um, affecting uh, much of the, uh, of the United States here in the Carolinas as well. So before we do that, we do have a little weather news, and I want to toss it over to executive producer James Barton, who has the latest. James? Thank you very much, Scotty. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit on last week's show, and we're just going to talk about it real briefly here at the start of this week's show here on January the 16th. It's the 26th day of the government shutdown, and before everyone goes scurrying away, we just want to remind you that at home that there are hundreds of thousands of federal employees who are either furloughed or showing up to work without pay, and among them, affecting us here in the weather community is the National Weather Service. So just like we did last week, we want to remind you that in your local offices all across the Carolina and all across the nation, these folks are continuing to show up for their shifts around the clock in order to keep us safe and educated. They're issuing storm warnings just this past weekend here in the Carolinas as rain and ice and snow were moving through. Those folks were continuing to do their forecast, inform the public, work with the media, work with emergency management, all under the assumption uh, that we will um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, be giving them back pay here in the due future, which the government has come out and, and to, to say. But there's there's a lot of factors to this that I think that go into just letting those folks know we appreciate what they're doing because, sure, they will be paid down the line. But, you know, we're hearing more and more stories as the time goes on that these folks, just like you and I at home, have bills uh, that need to be paid. And, and while we don't want to get into politics, we do want them to know that we do appreciate them. We appreciate their job that they're doing. And I don't think we can say it any better than uh, this fella here who we're going to go ahead and pop up on the screen. His name is Mark Pellerito. He's with the National Weather Service Employee uh, Organization, speaking on behalf of of all of those employees nationwide. Take a listen to uh, his uh, little clip here as he talks about what it's like for these folks, these employees, these human beings coming into the office each day. Weather is a 24-7 gig. You know, the weather service, we're there day, night, swinging shifts, whatever, working holidays, working weekends. We're up to that task, however. It's, it's our mission, it's our passion, we love our jobs. And it's a calling to serve our country. It is difficult to serve our country to the best of our ability when we are distracted by things unraveling at home, not knowing when our paycheck is going to come. And and I think that's that's certainly understandable. I think it would be the same for for any of us in any of our jobs. And and so uh, we we hope those folks just 
you know, going into the office watching right now, do know that uh, we we still are uh, root for them and uh, hope all of this one way or the other, guys, gets resolved uh, sooner rather than later. I want to bring back in uh, the panel. I want to bring back in Scotty because, I mean, Scotty, it's worth in full transparency lettering of viewers know at home that uh, the show that we had promoted originally for this week and originally for next week are going to be on hold for a little while because of this. Yeah, uh, the show this week with uh, our guest from the USGS next week, uh, we are supposed to have uh, Dr. Ken Graham, who uh, directs the Hurricane Center. Uh, both of those uh, scheduled interviews have been postponed until we can start to, um, once we get back into the progress of the government show, uh, opening back up and everything kind of calms down, we'll get those interviews um, rescheduled. But one thing that's also concerning, and Shay and Jared, I'd love to bring you guys in this because you are... Um, I guess more affected than anyone else on our panel is uh, this is the time to prepare for hurricanes. And this is when the hurricane center has emergency managers and meteorologists that come into the hurricane center and they kind of discuss, this is what happened during the hurricane season, good, bad, indifferent. Uh, it's just a time where everyone can come together and discuss ideas. And uh, for you guys in Charleston, you know, um, the, the season has been pretty active. The last couple of seasons have been pretty active for the southeast coast so this is something that really hits home for you where you all are mr chirp jared want to comment there um I, I can i can go ahead yeah you're absolutely right scotty also on the coast nhc the weather service employees that uh are part of the tropical forecasting efforts they definitely use this time during the winter uh when when typically it's it's sort of a quieter time of the year as far as severe weather goes uh, you know, a few wintry events here and there that make it maybe as far down as Charleston or maybe a little bit further south, but um, maybe a few high wind events. But a lot of times this downtime is utilized. A lot of folks think, oh, they can relax for a while. No, they don't. They actually they go uh, right into research mode for the upcoming season. So they're they're, doing, they're batting ideas about what they can do with modeling. All kinds of things go into discussions this time of the year and they attend co um, conferences and all kinds of meetings across the country. Uh, this is when their outreach is at their peak availability to be able to go out and do these things. And so uh, for the tropics season coming up and what to expect. And, and so this is where we are right now. They're not able to do anything. They're pretty much on lockdown. They can come to work and that's about it. They don't respond to emails. They don't respond to social media. Um, there, there's all kinds of things that they, you know, they're, they're remaining dedicated to what they're doing, but they're just not available. They ha kind of have their hands tied, if you know what I mean, as far as the weather seasons coming up and what to expect. And I don't know, Jared, if you've, uh, have anything to add to that for at least the, the coastal South Carolina or the coastal empire as a whole. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Shay, you're exactly right. I mean, this is a preparedness season. It's, it's not the off season, it's preparedness season. And, and really preparedness starts is, is a year round thing. What happens today is what is what potentially could help us months, uh, months down the road. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a very complex situation. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the other part of this too is just in day to day, right? So weather service operations and day to day, we can still, you know, communicate with, uh, you know, severe weather, but I've heard some cases where, you know, uh, uh Peter, one of our panelists posted the other night that, you know, they weather service up there, uh, uh, out of Mount Holly was not, uh, posting snow, snow totals because of the shutdown. So, um, some other offices were posting snow totals if they exceeded some sort of warning criteria. So it's really, uh, it, it's, it's really complex. It's weird. You know, it's just weird because, you know, th th these, these guys are very, um, they are, they're, they they want to help. They want to reach out. They want to do this. And, um, 
different interpretations of of certain regulations. Again, I am not a Fed. I'm the furthest thing from it. Um, I know very little about what's, uh, what's going on, except they can't really tell us much right now. They're speaking through the products, and that's what we have to, uh, that's what we have to go with. So um, hopefully this gets resolved, and we can get back to the important work of outreach and getting everybody prepared. Um, we have some preparedness weeks coming up and to get ready for severe weather season in the south, um, you know, severe weather season in, in, in the plains as well. So there's, there's certainly a lot of impacts there that um, we're going to face. We're supposed to get a new GFS in a few weeks. I don't think that's going to happen. Go 17 is supposed to become goes west. That might not happen. Um, so a lot of impacts for sure, operationally. Definitely. So I think we have a sound clip, uh, a sound clip from uh, a discussion talking about um, how folks are not being able to be prepared for the hurricane season. In the off season, we primarily focus on hurricane preparedness, outreach, uh, education, and training. And none of those uh, activities are permitted during a shutdown. Uh, this has implications down the line. We, we've canceled our first class that we, we co-host with FEMA for, for hurricane preparedness. And, uh, and we're looking to see, hopefully we can have the other classes, but it just depends how, how soon the government can open. So uh, lots, of, uh, lots of concerns with, with this government shutdown. And, and Ricky, we were talking here in our internal chat. I'll, I'll throw it to you. Uh, one thing we did learn is this really is not having an impact yet on the GFS model that, that a lot of us use. But you, as well as I do, uh, who we just went through an ice storm and a winter weather event, the, uh, the communication is different, it seems like, for the different weather forecast offices. Yes, I'm not being able to issue uh, what's called a public information statements, like send out snowfall reports. It just seems to vary from every weather service office, weather service office. I know the high split uh, websites are down. So the main thing I've noticed, guys, is just a bunch of websites being down. Um, a lot of times we do these high split trajectory things where we go back and we try to trace where the cold air came from. I was going to do that for the Arctic air we got moving in uh, as we go into the weekend. And that was down. We can't do that. So it's big inconvenience to people, you know, who are trying to do research stuff too. people at uh, various different weather service offices not being able to go to training. That's another thing going on. Uh, some of my friends have been planning on going to the radar classes out in Oklahoma, and that's skeptical now whether that's going to happen. And of course, the big weather conference just happened, the AMS conference. Uh, no one was able to go to that. So that's also a downside from all of this. And Ricky, just to add to that, a uh, couple, couple of factors here that we need to really consider in the immediate future is that these offices are going to start running out of gas. Uh, and what that means is hydrogen and helium in particular when they get to a certain level of, of reserve tanks, they cannot any longer launch weather balloons twice a day. They're going to only uh, operate those for significant events or emergency purposes only. So that means the upper soundings that go up twice a day that feed right into the modeling, not just nationally, but globally, um, are going to be affected by that. And so the United States may become some sort of a void, which would affect the global scale in the modeling. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. And then there's even talk about it, will they be able to pay the power bills in time? Uh, radar sites might be at risk. So there's a lot of factors here going on with weather service. A lot of uh, uh, real tough times ahead if, if this shutdown continues to go for any lengthy period of time. Yeah, yeah, it is, Shay. And uh, all we can do is just, um, you know, uh, if you're a weather weenie or even not a weather weenie, you're just concerned about it. Obviously, we encourage you to uh, interact with your local representatives, re representatives or, or senators, and just say, "Hey, you know, um, 
we need we need our people to be paid. So uh, just a very sad situation going on, and hopefully it can get uh, resolved pretty quickly. So, but right now we want to bring in our guest uh, tonight. This is uh, bring in Tony Rice. He is a contributor for WRAO in the Astronomy and Space Flight at WRAO. If you're not familiar with that, it's in Raleigh, North Carolina, and that's where our guest hails from tonight. Tony, uh, it's been a while since we've had you on the program. How have you been? I've been well, and uh, thank you guys for having me on again. Yeah, we're excited. Well, last year we had you on talking about the uh, total uh, solar eclipse, or I guess two years ago now, right? Two years ago? Yeah, Something two like years that. Ago. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty exciting. So we, we had you talking about that, and uh, you know, I caught the bug after that. Now I'm like, i got to <laughs> go out to Oklahoma or Arkansas or something like that in 2024. But another unique thing happened in the sky this weekend, weather, um, weather obviously – could play a factor in that. We'll hope this storm system gets out of here quick enough, but is the uh, total lunar eclipse. And so uh, you specialize in this stuff. So we thought who better to bring on to talk about the eclipse tonight. So Tony, uh, first of all, we appreciate you coming on and just tell us what's going to be happening over the weekend. Yeah. So when we unwind it a little bit, you've probably have seen a, a few things in the media about it. And uh, every time I, I see a new article, uh, there seems to be another adjective in there. And that just entertains me to to no end. So let me see if I got it right. I I, I think it's a super wolf blood total eclipse. Uh, so let's kind of pick that apart. And actually, let's start at the end. So eclipse, totally cool with that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. It it is going to be an eclipse. Um, lunar, yeah, that that's worth pointing out. It is a lunar eclipse and not a solar eclipse. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the differences between those two. And I'm glad you brought up 2017. 2017 was just an amazing experience. Um, lunar eclipses are, are, of course, different uh, uh, geometrically, uh, but the experience is, is a bit different too. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, blood, well, that's the one I, 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 I'm not quite sure about. Um, uh, I, I think that comes from the fact that they tend to to turn the moon a little bit red, and I'll quiz you guys a little bit on uh, on where that comes from. Let's see what you know about eclipses, and the the wolf part, no problem there. You know that comes from uh, some old, I believe, Native American legends about um, uh, or, or or ways of identifying the full moon. Oh yeah, sometimes that other adjective you'll see in there is the full moon, and that one's really redundant. Uh, not quite as a uh, as redundant as some of the other ones, but. Uh, it has to be a full moon in order for a lunar eclipse to occur. And we'll look at a graphic in a moment that explains why that is. Uh, you have to have a new moon for a solar eclipse, a full moon for a lunar eclipse. And if you kind of think about where things are and where the shadows have to be placed, it makes perfect sense. And then super, well, I I've learned to embrace the super moon. It's really not that big of a deal, but uh, uh, hey, if it gets people interested in this sort of stuff, I'm all for it. So let me share something here. So this is kind of the official view of uh, of eclipses. And this is a, a graphic that was created by a gentleman by the name of Fred Espernick. He is since retired, but he worked up at the Goddard Space Flight Center up in Maryland. And he's known as Mr. Eclipse for a very, very good reason. So um, the, there's a lot of technical stuff on here about right ascension and declination and, and, and that sort of thing. and How big the um, penumbral uh, shadow is going to be and the umbral shadow. Uh, but this this graphic here in the middle that shows where the moon is going to be moving through is is pretty cool. It's pretty useful. So that dark orange circle you see right there, that's the umbral shadow. Uh, even when you walk outside on a sunny day, you're actually casting two shadows. Uh, you don't tend to see it on the ground because 
uh, of all the reflected sunlight around you, but you have an umbral shadow and a, a penumbral shadow. That umbral shadow is the darker one. That's what you see there in the center. Uh, so that's the difference between a, a, a total eclipse and maybe like an, a, a penumbral eclipse. The, the moon will start moving through that penumbral shadow on about 9.30, but things start getting really cool about 10.30. So let me move to the, the next slide. Uh, I know one of the questions that's already come in was about visibility. So let me just uh, share that right now. This is the, the image that uh, is at the bottom of that PDF file that you can get off the Goddard Flight Center site. Um, what you see there in the middle is an indication of when you can see the eclipse. The absolutely the entire eclipse, including the penumbral part and all that, will be visible for all of North America and all of South America. Uh, out here in the uh, the outer stretches of the Aleutian Islands, if you got anybody out there, any friends out there, they won't be able to see quite all of it, but but pretty close to it. But here in 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 the the Carolinas, all along the east coast, on out to the west coast, we'll be able to to see everything. So let's look at the differences. So you brought up 2017. Uh, eclipses are all about things lining up. So back in 2017, when there was a solar eclipse, it's basically the moon getting in the way and it's casting a shadow on the earth. It moved pretty quickly across the earth from the west coast to the east coast. And that was both the function of the moon moving in its orbit, but more so the earth rotating underneath of it. So that's why that eclipse shadow was moving so quickly. So the order here in this lineup is sun, moon, earth. But on Sunday night, what's going to happen is the order will be sun, earth, moon. And it's going to be the earth casting the shadow on the moon. Um, we've all been to the movies and you've probably walked near the movie screen. Uh, movie screens are about the color of the, and about the reflectivity of the lunar regolith, it's called, the lunar soil. So it makes a really good movie screen. So I'm going to quiz you guys and just jump in here and, and give me your, your ideas. Well, first of all, what color is a lunar eclipse or what colors? Somebody jump in on this. It's like orangish usually. Kind of orangish, maybe deep red sometimes. And it varies from time to time. Anybody know where that color comes from? Comes from the sun? Comes from the sunlight. That's the ultimate source. Well, why isn't it white? The sun is actually putting out, you know, full spectrum of light. Why doesn't it show white on the moon? I would guess refractory processes. There you go. It, it's the same reason that we see a sunset or a sunrise as being kind of orange. So uh, think of it this well, you know, another question, what color is the sun when it's directly overhead at solar noon? Anybody? It's almost do white. Come it's on, Shay. White. This is why you're here, man. Count on you. Because <laughs> the, the sun is, the, the star itself is white. It is, it absolutely is. And we, we tend to draw them yellow because you know that's the way it looks in the sky when we can actually look at it. Uh, it was pretty hard to see the uh, the eclipse back in 2017, um, you know, without those solar glasses, you're you're definitely going to damage your eyes. You're it, that's because it was reasonably close to solar noon. We're looking through a lot less atmosphere when the sun is close to solar noon. It's only about 100 miles worth of atmosphere, but think about how much atmosphere you're looking through at a sunrise or a sunset. It's a lot more, a lot more refraction going on. 
it, it, it makes that, uh, that sunlight look that much more red. Same thing that makes the sky blue is what makes the, the sunsets red. So back to our lunar eclipse here, what you're actually seeing, and you know, this is the kind of romantic part of the science, you're actually seeing all the sunsets from pole to pole, from equator to equator, across the entire limb of the, the Earth, you're seeing them all simultaneously as it goes through the Earth's atmosphere. So I, I personally think that's kind of cool. So next question for you guys. Uh, do you happen to know off the top of your head when the next total eclipse is going to be this year? I have no idea. It's not going to happen. This is the only lunar eclipse, total lunar eclipse of the year, and we happen to be able to see this one. So if the, the this is all about lineup, if the sun, the moon, and the earth are lining up is what makes it happen, well, the, the, the earth goes around the sun once a year. The moon goes around the earth once a month. I mean, it's where we get the word month from. You know, it's ballpark about 28 days. Shouldn't we be seeing a solar eclipse once a, a month when there's a new moon and a lunar eclipse once a mon month when there's a uh, full moon? We don't. Well, here's why. This is actually kind of fun. Uh, so the best way to think about orbits is you know, everybody's seen a hula hoop. Uh, when you try to, 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 uh, to use a hula hoop, you never get it perfectly level with uh, the ground. I always twist on you a little bit. Well, the same thing's happening with the moon's orbit. So uh, our, our base for everything is, of course, we're here on Earth. So we, we base everything on Earth's movement around the sun. And that's called the ecliptic. It's an imaginary line that goes through the sky. Uh, the moon is kind of tilted to that, and that tilt rotates just like that hula hoop would rotate around you. So sometimes, and here on the left-hand side, uh, you see the Earth casting a shadow. The sun's off to the, the, the left not being seen, and you can see that umbra and that penumbra, uh, the umbra being the dark part of that, that uh, line there and the penumbra being the lighter part. Uh, every once in a while, things just line up perfectly, and the moon passes directly through that shadow. Sometimes it'll pass through the penumbra, and you don't get quite as cool of, a, uh, of an eclipse. We had one of those last year. But more often than not, it's passing above or below that shadow. So the, the previous full moon, I don't recall if it went above or below, uh, but the you know, same concept applies. Uh, it didn't quite make it through the shadow. So we don't see these every month, and that's what makes it a little bit special. So questions, guys. Uh, we, we have any questions? coming in or uh, questions about eclipses in general? Evan, yeah, so, yeah, I was going to say, Evan, he's already answered mine that I had topped out, so go ahead. Yeah, so you answered one of mine as well, Tony. Um, the other question I did have is we talked about before the show that uh, normally NASA runs a maybe an online stream where you can watch the lunar eclipse, uh, if I'm remembering that discussion right, and it's not going to be working with this government shutdown. So is there somewhere that that can be seen online or am I just, I just have bad information? Um, I haven't heard anything about that running this time. Uh, I do know that NASA TV is up and they have been uh, broadcasting some other things. I don't know specifically about this one, um, but another possible source for that is uh, the SLU, S-L-O-O-H, uh, observatory. It's a, an online observatory. We can actually rent time on some pretty cool telescopes. Uh, there's several in the Canary Islands, uh, which uh, makes for a pretty good observing place. 
they often, I don't know for a fact if they're doing it this time, but they often will run a live stream. Another possibility is the Exploratorium, which is a science museum out in uh, downtown San Francisco. And they often run some things there too. So I would check those. And Tony, I was just looking through some of our comments on the show. Um, they, they may have missed this part, so maybe you can um, talk about it a little bit more. Uh, what What are the key times that folks need to be outside to, to view this um, as long as the weather cooperate? Did I blast right through that? So let me bring this up. And actually, I uh, want to get you guys' thought. You're the, you're the weather geeks here, not me. Uh, I, I only play one on TV. But um, here is the... Um, uh, the times, let me switch to make sure I'm sharing the right screen. Um, can you see the times? Yeah, we got you. 1033 okay. through 1141. Yeah. So what I've listed here are the, when the umbral eclipse begins. So it starts at 1033. If you go out there at 1023 and you look at it, you know, don't be tempted to run back inside because you don't see anything that's all that impressive. It's just beginning. Uh, if you really want to uh, limit your time when you're going out there and looking, and actually the later the better based on what we're seeing with the weather, uh, between 11 and midnight uh, Eastern time are, are going to be the best times to look. Uh, if you go out right during the total eclipse, yeah, you're going to see some color, but you're not really going to get an appreciation for what's going on with the eclipse. The really cool thing about the eclipse, if you kind of stand back and you, you think about some of the things that I've shown you here, and you think of that that lineup and the geometry of what's happening out there in the solar system between the sun, the earth, and the moon, if you go out there about 1130, um, 1115, 11:30, you're going to see the curve of the earth. You're going to see, because what you're looking at is the Earth's shadow being cast on the moon. So that's a great time to look. So things start at 1033. Between 11 and about midnight are a great time to look. The total eclipse, when the moon is completely within the moon's umbral shadow, that starts at 1141. Um, the totality lasts for just a little over one minute. And the whole show, um, at least the umbral part of the show, is about three hours and 16 minutes. So this is not too late for us. But I'm going to ask you guys, I've, I've got the link up here from, um, or the I just took a screenshot from the uh, Raleigh Weather Office looking at cloud cover is in blue and the uh, precipitation potential is in brown. So it looks like you might not get rained on and decreasing clouds. You know, based on some of the forecast you've seen, is this looking pretty good to you? Yes. Across Carolina, I'd say so. In the mountains, we could see some clouds sticking around uh, just due to some northwest flow in the wake of our front. But I think for central and eastern North Carolina, we're doing better. Yeah, that was my that's that was some folks have asked me here in western North Carolina. My concern is that what Ricky is talking about the northwest flow. So if you live in the mountains and just adjacent of the mountains in the northern foothills, you may have some clouds to contend with. But I think once you get towards the Hickory area in North Carolina, maybe. Uh, Maybe, uh, uh, Chris, you can help me out with some South Carolina locations. You know a little bit better than I do. But I think Hickory on, on, on east, you should be fine to see this. But I'm worried about the mountains and, and some of the northern foothills just because of, of that northwest flu. Yeah, I'll tell you, Scotty, I'll jump in here real quick with you. But uh, if, if there was one thing I'd be worried about also be some residual clouds left over, especially if you get to – if we get some, you know, a, a good wedge in here like we did yesterday – for example, I know yesterday afternoon on the visible satellite, Georgia, North Carolina was, uh, you know, blue, bluebird skies in, in Columbia. The ceilings were about a thousand feet all day. 
So, uh, you know, that's just something worth watching. And, you know, residual clouds are not too big of a problem here. We're talking about a three-hour event. So uh, if you got a few clouds moving through, no big deal. I've watched a lot of lunar eclipses through holes in the sky. So uh, there's plenty of time to to catch it. You know, even the total eclipses is over an hour long. So, you know, unless we're looking at totally overcast skies all night, which doesn't seem to be the case, even the mountains, I think we're going to see a good show here. Yeah, that's encouraging to hear. What makes a lunar eclipse last so much longer than a solar eclipse? Well, it is uh, in large part due to the size of the Earth. Um, if you think about it, that's what's, what's happening here is the, the, the shadow of the Earth is being cast on a pretty big body, the, the moon itself. And what causes the solar eclipses to last such a short time is the incredible speed that we're moving at on the Earth. You know, if you're standing on a, uh, a spot on the uh, equator, you're moving at well over 1,000 miles an hour just from the rotation of the Earth. And here in the Carolinas, we're talking 700, 800 miles an hour. So uh, there, there's lots of times for the, the Earth to move you out of that shadow. Now, forgive me if you <clears throat> mentioned this earlier. Where, where is the moon going to be? Is it going to be rising in the east and heading over to the west? Or which direction should we be looking at at 10.33 p.m. in the sky here in the eastern let's, United States? Yeah, let's take a look. Let me fire up my, uh, my Stellarium here, and we will fast forward. Let me go ahead and share this. One second. Come on, Google, play with me. Application, there we go. So I'll just say this uh, application I'm using here is called Stellarium. It is a, a free application that'll work on PCs, Macs, uh, Linux, anything. And it is uh, basically a planetarium right there on your computer. So I'll find the moon and then we'll go to 20th and let's go to about We'll go 2,300 hours and back up a little bit. There we go. So scroll out here, and it's going to be in the southeast. And I will turn on the constellation. So it's going to be in the constellation Cancer. Uh, if you look down and to the left, you'll see the backwards question mark that is Leo. Uh, so some things to look at right there. Well, probably the two or the three things you're going to notice the most uh, when you're out there looking, are going to be the Gemini's twins, the two uh, two main stars of Gemini, and then this really bright star over here. Uh, but the moon is going to be, where's the distance? Um, unfortunately, I've got it in, in kilometers. Uh, but as we, we move on through the night, and I will, let me lock in on it and turn this on, you'll see it move not a whole lot through the sky. It's just a couple of hours, but you will see that move from left to right. And let me switch this up a little bit. I'm going to put this, I'm going to simulate this being, stop that. Rewind time. There we go. Center this again. Doink. And if I zoom in and watch what's happening here, I'm going to turn on what's called an equatorial mount, which is going to remove the tilt of the earth. There we go. And then I will start this again. You can see what's happening as the eclipse occurs. So they were moving into 11 o'clock and then midnight. 
Yeah, so it's going to move from from left to right. Did that answer your question, or did I just show? No, some that, that more than answered the question. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. good. We just got to watch the eclipse before it happened. That's that's really neat. Uh, the only other question yeah. I have for you, Tony, is uh, you know the solar eclipse. We were actually able to have some some physical effects, you know, animals um, reacting to it. Even even the weather. I watched. Uh, there was some different things that happened with the weather. So with a with a lunar eclipse like this. Does anything happen physically on Earth that would be different from normal, from a full moon aspect? Not really. Um, every full moon uh, and every new moon is going to have some slight tidal effects, uh, simply be because of the, the, the tidally locked moon, and especially during a supermoon when the moon is at its closest point in the orbit. It's it, uh, uh, a point where the gravitational forces are a little bit greater. We might see a little bit higher tides, during that time, uh, but that's actually going to happen during both tides on that day. Uh, but as far as physical effects with uh, animals acting different and such, not nearly to the degree that a, uh, a solar eclipse does. Uh, I noticed that when I was watching the solar eclipse down in South Carolina, uh, oh, the the birds went quiet and then they went nuts afterwards once the uh, oh, once the eclipse was over. Very true, very true. All right, Scott, in my hand, uh, whoever has any other questions. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Tony, um, we appreciate your time. If folks, you know, may be listening to our podcast in the next day or so, and if they have any questions, uh, what's the best way they can uh, reach you at? So my Twitter handle is at uh, RTP Hokey, R-T-P-H-O-K-I-E. Uh, feel free to hit me up there, uh, and I'll, I'll answer the questions however I, I can. And let me uh, add one more thing before you let me go here. I want to make sure everybody's aware of this. Uh, coming up in Raleigh on uh, the weekend of the 26th and the 27th is Astronomy Days. They have this every year. It's actually one of the biggest events on the East Coast. Um, there's uh, generally uh, an astronaut there. I don't know off the top of my head how uh, the government shutdown has affected that. I'd have to double check. But there's tons of great talks. All the local astronomy clubs are there. Uh, the area universities are sharing some of their research. I'll be giving a talk both on, on Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, I'm going to be talking about how uh, missions like Apollo, where we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing, uh, how missions like Apollo are actually going to help us learn a lot of things that are applicable to going to Mars, believe it or not. And then on Sunday, I'm going to be giving a talk on the uh, the year that was 2018 and uh, all the things that happened astronomy and uh, planetary science wise and looking forward to 2019 and some of the cool things there so saturday is from 9 a.m to 5 p.m and sunday it'll be on uh the again the january 27th from noon to five and i'll be hanging out up in the uh, the nasa lab up on the, the third floor so come by and say hi that's awesome. So go check it out if you're in the area. And uh, one thing that we're going to try to get Tony on, I know we've talked about this in the past, but a lot of uh, new discoveries and a lot of new conversation about the planet Mars and, and what the weather effects may be on that. So kind of putting Tony on the spot here. Hopefully, Tony, we can have you back some other time and maybe talk about um, some of the weather and, and things that are going on on Mars. Yeah, let's plan on that because actually here pretty soon we should be seeing uh, a pretty regular stream of weather data, I'm being told. Uh, the Having the government shutdown end will, will certainly help there. Uh, but in addition to the uh, Mars rover Curiosity that is, is putting up some, some great uh, information about the atmosphere on, on Mars, um, 
we've got the the new uh, Insight mission that has some uh, some wonderful instruments on board. We're already starting to see some really good information there. So uh, let, let's put a pin in that. And I, I'll have some some more information in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. In the meantime, you can always check out my my Twitter account, Mars WX Report. Uh, and uh, now started putting out graphics. So you might recognize these as looking a little bit like some of those that Ricky puts out. <laughs> we may have to get Kit, Kit back on here to do Tovian wins with Tony eventually. <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, go check out the, the Mars Weather Reports. That's a really cool Twitter site to follow. And Tony, we'll, we'll be in touch via e, uh, message, and we'll, we'll get something scheduled out uh, for Mars Weather soon. And we uh, certainly appreciate... Uh, you coming to hang out with us and letting us uh, know about the uh, lunar eclipse coming up. Sounds good. Clear skies for everybody. Sounds good. Thank you, Tony. Hang around if you want to. We're going to go to a quick break right quick. And after the break, uh, we're going to be discussing the cold weather that looks to be setting upon the southeast, including the Carolinas. All right, so we are back talking about winter weather now and the cold that is coming our way. Uh, HBO just announced the Game of Thrones is coming back in April. Well, ahead of that, winter is coming to the United States. It's been uh, kind of delayed. We've had some bursts of cold, and it's been cold in other parts of the United States. But here in the Carolinas, uh, we've had just a, what I think most people would call a, an okay winter so far. But the winter that everyone hates may be coming as we go into the later portion, later portion of uh, January. As... There's always so much hype over the polar vortex and the polar vortex splitting and all that cold air coming our way. Basically, we are looking at a colder than normal end of January and the beginning of February. What's happening is we are seeing a little portion of that quote unquote polar vortex splitting off. And as a result, we're seeing deeper troughs come down into our area and some deeper cold air. And the first one, guys, comes this weekend, we could be talking about a huge temperature drop as we go Sunday into Monday across the region, maybe even a little bit of some rain changing over to snow and a flash freeze potential too, Scotty, in the mountains. I knew I couldn't go a show without unmuting myself. Yeah, that's right, Ricky. Uh, Definitely the the possibility. I mean, some of the models are, I don't want to say crazy because I think it's possible, but they're showing a 20, 30, possibly 40 degree drop within, within the same day. So, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. That's what we were talking about with the uh, Northwest flu of of what could be happening. And Ricky, that that cold shock comes in Monday, Tuesday. It kind of warms up, but then I think the sustaining cold comes uh, over the uh, the next weekend. Right, which is the interesting part for me for the mountains. Well, we haven't had a whole lot of clipper systems so far this year, and so as this cold air starts coming in more, it'll be interesting to see if we get into more clipper season and more clipper flow with these quick moving uh, snow systems that can sometimes put down an inch or three in some of the higher terrain in North Carolina. Uh, We've got some of the model data playing out now and it looks like a colorful jamboree of purples and blues and everything all in one spell here. But that's going to be the change we see over the next seven days is especially Saturday. Saturdays can be nice and warm uh, parts of the state, a little cooler in the western part of the state. But as we go into Sunday, that huge temperature drop and wind chill values too are going to be crazy, especially in the higher terrain in North Carolina. We'd be talking about wind chill values that are down into single digits or below zero. I was looking at some data last night. Some of our European data was showing a negative 15 for Boone at one time, and that's for Monday morning. And then uh, as we go into later January next week, perhaps another blast of cold comes this way. 
Yeah, and that that blast looks like it could sustain itself. Um, I don't. We're not really allowed to share some some of the European data, but I I was looking at it just before the show. It, uh, we see a couple lobes of, of colder air move through, but overall in the southeast, um, below the Mason-Dixon line per se, uh, it looks to, to remain pretty chilly throughout the month of February. Um, Evan, I know earlier today you was able to kind of post some graphics of some temperatures that was going to be moving into the mountains, and um, I believe I, I saw there was a couple of uh, areas that could get down to the single digits Monday. That's definitely possible. Uh, I was trying to figure out how to screen share on here, but I think I need to practice that off camera one day. Uh, it's definitely possible that in the high elevations, especially above 5,000, 6,000 feet, um, wind values could drop below minus 15. Uh, it's just going to be it's going to be really, really cold. Definitely the coldest era of the season. Wouldn't be surprised if Mount Mitchell or Grandfather Mountain, with both of which are up around uh, 6,000 feet. Uh, Mitchell's closer to 7,000. They could both see temperatures close to zero, flirting with negatives. Um, and the wind's just going to be the kicker, even in the valleys uh, when temperatures will be in the single digits to low teens. Uh, NWS is forecasting wind chill values in Asheville of one degree on Monday morning. And that's going to come as a, that's going to be a shock for a lot of people, as well as been mild recently, temperate for the season. Uh, even Charlotte will be down to 11 uh, degree wind chill Monday morning, Winston-Salem 5, Raleigh 10, Wilmington 14. Uh, so all across the state, that cold is going to be uh, kind of spreading throughout the, the whole area. Which will be interesting because if you remember in the past when we've gotten these prolonged cold events or these cold blasts, we've seen uh, some school delays just because of the cold air and the requirements to get the buses warmed up for kids, uh, get the diesel fuel a little warmed up in the engines as well. So it would be interesting to see from a you know planning out your week standpoint, whether your kids have a delay of school on Monday, uh, whether they get a little bit of snow on Sunday into Monday or not, uh, and they have to deal with maybe a cold delay instead of a snow delay. Yeah, and Chris, I'll bring you and Jared and Shane. This cold air not going to uh, per se be contained to North Carolina and the mountains. It's going to be coming through your areas as well. Yeah, that's right, Scotty. I'll jump in here and get the Midlands and kick it down to Shane and Jared. But uh, you know, look, looking really, you know, throughout this weekend, a couple of systems going to move through Thursday, and then I think uh, another one again this weekend. But I think really the Midlands and 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 uh, maybe portions of the Piedmont, the upstate of South Carolina, is probably not going to see much rainfall this weekend. It looks like the, the moisture is just going to be really limited. And uh, I'm going to share a few graphics here with you guys before I kick it over there. But uh, <clears throat> if we go into the day three, uh, let's see here. Ten-day temps, anyway, sorry. Uh, temps are going to remain pretty close to average, uh, honestly, uh, You know, throughout the next ten days in Columbia. Uh, we'll see what happens really going into late next week, next weekend with some of the long, uh, long-term long model trends here. But uh, for now, that's that's kind of what we're looking at as far as temps, you know, in the 60s and 40s each night. And then we go th uh, into the day three rainfall totals here uh, with, you know, most areas outside of the upstate only getting, uh, you know, maybe a half an inch to a quarter of an inch of rain uh, at most. And then uh, we go out further and look at the day 10, uh, some of the ensemble uh, stuff. You start to see a big trough develop over the, the Midwest and the eastern part of the United States, and and that's going to be a really big trough uh, with some cross polar flow. And what happens is uh, Siberian air is able to spill over the North Pole and come straight down uh, through Canada all the way to the East Coast unimpeded. And uh, you know, one thing that may help that, especially uh, uh, going forward, this is the day seven uh, snowpack. And 
with a, a big weekend snowstorm expected across the Great Lakes, um, you know, maybe with a couple other systems, uh, the deeper the snow gets and, and the more snow that we have, uh, the colder that air is going to be able to stay as it moves south uh, towards South Carolina. Yeah, that snowpack it definitely signals in a higher libido where you you actually have snowpack on the ground reflecting sunlight. So even when it's supposed to warm up, the temperatures may not ever reach that goal and it just stays cold for a long period of time. The thicker the snow, the longer that happens. Yeah, so Jared, yeah, Jared, did you want to uh, start out for Charleston on rainfall or? Well, you know, I, I think the first thing to talk about is that, yes, we I mean, we're going to see uh, yet another round of rain just time perfectly for the weekend. Um, and then that temperature, just just like everybody else, it's just going to fall right off. We're going to go on what I call the pneumonia express over the next few days. Um, we're going to we're going to drop down into the uh, 20s and 30s. Uh, in, in the afternoons of some of these European projections kind of turn out the blend is kind of right in the middle there. So um, truth is somewhere in the middle. You might be hearing about wind chill advisories along the coast um, Monday morning. So wind chills around 10, 15 or so like that. So definitely some bitter cold, coldest it's been since our 2018 snowstorm. So something to keep in mind um, as you prepare to head out Monday morning. And then we're going to swing right back up into the middle of next week, it's going to get right back into the sixties and then there's going to be another round and it's just going to, we're just going to be on this just roller coaster and uh, just stay cold. You know, I just wish it would stay cold, but you know, that's just the way it is. So I'm just, I've actually been looking at some of the windchill uh, prognostications and yeah, it's going to get, it, it's going to be pretty, pretty wintry. Winter is definitely coming, uh, uh, especially for Monday morning. And then we'll see how things uh, evolve over the next couple of weeks. But overall, I mean, if you look at the uh, climate trends, uh, we're in for uh, generally, you know, below normal temperatures. So, you know, the, the, the money you spend on all that winter clothing is not going to go to waste. Hey, Jared, I want to jump in here for toss over to Shay, but, uh, you, know, you know, looking at some of the teleconnections yeah. with the uh, North Atlantic Oscillation, it looks like it's just going to tank into the negatives. When you see that negative signal, it usually means you're going to get blocking over Greenland. So uh, if that happens, that forces the colder air south underneath the uh, the high-pressure ridge. So we'll see what happens. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, cold pull off the coast and, and you get blocking patterns. Yeah, that's uh, that could be a recipe for, our, you know, that that is uh, we get into the typical winter months. And, and so this is when we start to see this kind of pattern develop. Uh, I'm going to share a screen and uh, just sort of talk about the coastal zone for a little bit as far as winds and wind chills. So uh, this is the air temperature pattern. This is inside the Charleston Harbor. Uh, this represents a lot of a lot of coastal South Carolina, but not all of it. Of course, when you get a little bit further north in latitude, temperatures go down a little bit. We have a fairly mild week ahead. Um, as we as we head into the weekend, we get into Thursday, then we get into Friday and Saturday, the temperatures are gonna be coming up <clears throat> ahead of a cold front. We're gonna be in a little bit of a warm sector ahead of this cold front. And then as we see, we get into Saturday night, temp temperature Saturday day, temperatures come up, and then we see them sharply drop off Sunday night into Monday morning. And this is where uh, this line could go down even further into the 20s. Uh, so that, that's something to consider. I mean, we could get into the upper 20s. We look at wind chills. This is a wind chill chart. This is basically what we go by. So if we're looking at, uh, you know, looking at wind speeds versus air temperatures, and we typically go up to about 40 degrees and anything above that, there really isn't much to associate wind chill with. I mean, you, you could calculate that out, but really we kind of start at 40 degrees and drop down. And you can see that the values, if we're at, if we're at 25 degrees 
and the wind is 15 miles per hour, the wind chill is going to be 13 degrees. So you can see the significant drop there, whereas we're, we're, realistically, we may be looking at 30 degrees with a wind chill of about 19. Uh, that's kind of what we're looking at for the Charleston area right now for all intents and purposes. One thing to point out is the sea surface temperatures. Now the wind will be coming out of the north, so that means we will have cooler air. If it were onshore wind, we would definitely have uh, warmer air, but the sea surface temperatures are not all that chilly. Um, you know, the, the shelf waters definitely are along the coast. Uh, the Gulf Stream out here is a constant warm, but if you look at the sea surface temperatures right now, uh, for the Charleston area, 55 degrees, and it just came down from about nearly 60 degrees about four or five days ago. Uh, so it hasn't dropped that much. Now, if we get really low temperatures, we may even see some of that famous sea smoke. Uh, our sea surface temps now are a little bit on the cool side for that, but you could see some really cool, um, interesting, like uh, visual observations Monday morning off the water where steam is rising. If the winds are, are calm enough, you might, for some photographers out there, might be able to get some good uh, pick ops out there. So we shall see. That's uh, that's pretty much it for the wind chill on the coastline here. I think we're we're just battening down for a little cool blast and then maybe we'll we'll warm up a little bit beyond that. But is the cold pattern going to stick around? That's the big question. Yeah, that is the big question. And the question that everybody's asking uh, uh, that's watching us right now is, oh, we see the cold air coming. Are we going to be able to get any snowfall? Uh, Chris, you brought up a good point about the blocking. You've got to have uh, getting snowfall is kind of like severe weather. You have to have all the ingredients come together to to get these elements to come in. So we've got the cold air. A blocking pattern normally means that we could see some wintry precipitation set up. So Ricky, I don't know if you're still with us. I'll toss it to you first if you are. Uh, obviously, you live in the in the mountains, so let, we'll kind of go from the mountains to the Piedmont to the coastal areas. Uh, do you uh, do you see any snowfall uh, coming in your area for the next uh, week or so? And Ricky may not be with us. Um, I don't see his thing. So Evan, I'll toss it to you because you're the next person that lives in the mountains. Uh, Evan, uh, what's your thoughts on the potential seeing some snowfall in the area? So I think that uh, Sunday afternoon, as temperatures are just plummeting down, uh, we'll probably be looking at a quick changeover to snow showers uh, in the higher elevations first, uh, Western North Carolina, um, and probably it might reach down into the mountains of South Carolina by uh, Saturday night, but it'll be mostly contained along the uh, Tennessee border uh, and into Mount Mitchell and the Onaka Mountains. Um, we could see three to six inches in those highest elevations, but for the most part, uh, where the people live in the valleys, it, it'll just be maybe a pretty snow at best. Um, some flakes flying, but hopefully nothing that will uh, cause any serious issues. Yeah, definitely. So um, here are the foothills. I'll talk about the foothills. I don't know if James wants to chime in about the Piedmont, but the foothills, uh, there's nothing in, in the cards right now that says, hey, we're going to get snow this day or, the, or that day. Uh, but as Ricky posted a, a graphic, and I did take it from him, but I did um, put his name on it, so I give him graphic for that. Uh, or credit for that graphic is you, you've got first to have you have to have the the setup is is the potential there is the pattern look um, favorable for a snow event obviously with the cold air coming in we're going to see those troughs develop so th that's a favorable pattern it's just now can you get the moisture to sync up with that and that's the sixty four thousand dollar question will we have a a uh, precipitation maker move through the area why the cold air has established itself here so that's something we'll have to watch i don't see anything that that's defining saying yeah it's going to snow this day or that day but i do believe the pattern is starting to 
uh, get more favorable for the chance of winter weather. And it seems to me, no matter what the pattern is, February can always at least buy one or two snow events in the Carolinas. So, uh, so per se, there's nothing really in the cards right now, but the favorable, uh, the pattern is getting very favorable. So I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, in the next several weeks at least uh, a couple of opportunities of seeing uh, some winter storms develop here in the foothills and the Piedmont. And so with that, I want to toss it to Chris, who is in the Midlands of South Carolina. He can cover the upstate and the Midlands, and then we'll toss it to our coastal boys. Yeah, just to repeat a lot of what you know you guys are talking about with this long-range pattern, it looks like it's going to be set up. Um, just the biggest thing is once you get that cold air over the eastern United States, uh, you get this the active southern branch of the jet stream to phase with that cold air, and then you have the recipes together for a good southeastern. When I say southeastern, I mean Midlands, upstate, uh, you know, even the low country of South Carolina snow event. And uh, anytime you have uh, warm air at the surface with cold air trying to chase the moisture, that it's never it's never going to work out for a good snowstorm across South Carolina. I mean, we've seen that time and time again a few uh, a few days ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and so forth. You really need that cold air to be robust, uh, you know, from the surface all the way up uh, through through the top of the troposphere to to really get a good snowstorm in South Carolina. And, and just up until now, the pattern hasn't supported anything that's going to, uh, you know, lead to a big snow event in South Carolina. But, uh, you know, looking forward uh, day 10, day 15 on some of the ensemble stuff, the, the pattern looks a lot better. So just going forward, that's something to watch for around the end of January, see what happens. I think the word we're trying to say, Chris, is patience. Just be patient. Absolutely. <laughs> just be patient. Right, for, for, for the coast, uh, for the coast, it's going to it's going to take a lot. It's been pretty it's been pretty mild here. I mean, honestly, our sea surface temperatures are a little bit warmer than they would need to be for anything, anything significant. But uh, last year we had a cold pattern set up for about three weeks before we had our snowstorm and, and it dropped the sea surface temperatures down. What that does is if the wind is northeast off the ocean and it's coming into the coastline, uh, you tend to get a little bit of a warm layer a lot that changes that over to more of a sleet or freezing rain layer. We call this warm nosing. So that's one thing we got to watch at the coastline. If we end up with a straight north or northwest flow all the way to the coast, and it just pushes that cold air down right into moisture. And what we really need is component of low pressure off the coast to really wrap some moisture into the coast. There's some, some sort of connection to the Gulf of Mexico as well. Um, that would usually trigger some sort of wintry event here. But it's very hard. It's hard enough. To see that happen in central South Carolina, the Midlands, and all the way up through uh, the upstate, but it's even harder at the coastline. So last year was one of those very rare, very extremely rare events. Uh, but but this year, looking at the current pattern, we're going to need uh, we're going to need to get cooler a lot sooner. I think we're going to need to see that for a while. You know, five days to a week at least of, of some pretty chilly weather and some overnight lows down into the freezing temps to get that ground cool. Scotty, I think you're on mute. Of course I am. It wouldn't be a show without one or two times me doing or me doing that a couple of times. So anyways, uh, that's our show tonight. Get out there, enjoy the lunar eclipse. If you get any cool videos or pictures or anything like that, we'd love to see them. And again, uh, we suggest you uh, follow Tony Rice on Twitter. He'll be tweeting out updates throughout the rest of the week and the weekend, talking about the event. Go see the astronomy days out um towards the end of the month. Uh, next week, we have Montana Eck on with us. He's going to be talking about some climate extremes in the Carolinas. So uh, we enjoy uh, Montana's work on, on uh, Twitter. Uh, he always has some fascinating research. So uh, um, Evan coming in clutch with the uh, 
with the uh, booking of of uh, Montana. So we're looking forward to that. Um, hopefully, uh, if you were here to see the uh, the landslide show and, and next week the hurricane show, we'll try to get those rebooked as quickly as possible. So, but next week we'll have Montana on with us. We'll continue to talk about the cold weather and whatever else pops up between now and then. So we appreciate you watching us tonight. Don't forget, send us your comments, suggestions, ideas for guests or show topics. We'd love to hear from you. Go uh, subscribe to our YouTube page and uh, on your uh, favorite podcast uh, uh, app. Go find us on, on those and uh, just share the word about Carolina Weather Group. So until next Wednesday, we hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the lunar eclipse, and we will see you here for another show next Wednesday night. Good night, everyone.